We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, everyone. It's Lindsay Rhodes, and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show. Fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes, and we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, we're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup. Hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm just one of those fans who have been disappointed and for 25 years. Been disappointed. Let's make a change if it's wrong. But at least I'm doing something for the fans and trying to do something for myself at 80. I'm entitled to some enjoyment out of this team, and that means winning. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Gear, and that's Chris Kruger of the Rock Pal Report. And that was Leon Hess. <laughs> that old man, Chris dug real deep to find Leon Hess, former owner of the New York Jets, from when he hired Rich Kotite. Yeah, he wants to see the team win, so... <laughs> That's exactly what we got on uh, on Sunday against the Rams. Jesus. Oh, Christ. welcome to your AFC's Roundup Week 15. The Buffalo Bills sitting at 11 and 3 in first place. They are number 1 in the AFC East with a bullet. The Buffalo Bills are division champs after trouncing the Denver Broncos. Chris raise a glass. Toast to that. The Dolphins 9 and 4 sitting in second place. Our friends down south took another step closer to the postseason, defeating the New England Patriots in a game that was difficult to listen to from a game flow perspective. I can't imagine how hard it was to watch. The Patriots, sitting at 6-8 and eight in third place, 
in losing in South Beach. New England finds themselves in a position relatively unknown to at least a third of their fan base right now. Sitting home, watching the NFL postseason happen. They're not going to sit at home. I mean, some of them will fly south and golf. That's always a fun thing to do in the offseason. That's true. I mean, New England's weather is worse than Buffalo's, and people used to say that that's the reason nobody signed here. Yeah. There's no way any of those players are sticking around. Ugh. And then the Jets. Oh, my God. Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the procedure, everyone? What's the procedure? What's the procedure? Stay Chris, it it is happening. It's bedlam. It's anarchy. And it all starts. Chris, the Bills winning the AFC East, that's not the story. That's not the story to lead the show. The one that is is that the New York Jets won. They won a football game. 23 to 20 against the LA Rams. Cracking a fresh one for this. Here to talk to us about it, as always, Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. Scott. Like do do like a welfare check. How are you doing? Are you okay? I've been a season ticket holder of this team for thirty five years. I can't describe how many hours and dollars I've spent on this team, Drew. I know that you're in the same boat with Bills. This team just never stops finding new ways to hurt me. (laughs) But I thought I thought I've experienced everything as a Jets fan that you could experience in a negative way. But they found a new way to destroy me, and I've been in a blind rage since Sunday. I've never been angrier as a Jets fan. I didn't think I was capable of it at this stage of my life, but I am so angry, I don't even know how to verbalize it, to be honest with you. Like, when people ask how I'm feeling about it, I just say, imagine the angriest you've ever been and then times it by a million. That's basically where I'm at right now. And we're talking a couple days after this happened, so I haven't even cooled off. Well, listen, I'm married. I know what that feeling feels like. The, the, the <laughs> anger, the anger where you want it to, you want to say a million things, but you know, you can't open your mouth and you don't even know what you would say if you did. So instead you just pace and mumble and just murmur, some fries. Oh, I know that. Now, when I was doing, when I was doing prep work for our show here tonight, I was, it started on Thursday because I'm looking at the Chargers winning meaningless football games and talking about how, well, we as players, that's what we do. We try to win. And I was going to come in here and I was going to rail on you about that dynamic. And then while I was off in my kitchen cooking Gordon Ramsay's ultimate filet steak sandwich, which anybody out there wants to see photos of it at Rockpile Report, might be the greatest thing I've ever cooked in my life. My brother turns on the TV now, my brother doesn't like football. He doesn't care for it. He just doesn't, he doesn't find it interesting. He's over because he knows I'm cooking this ridiculous steak. And he comes over and he goes, turns the TV on and he goes, I thought these Jets were supposed to be bad. And I started laughing and I go, yeah, they are. They're terrible. And he goes, I don't know. They're winning right now. I go, what do you mean they're winning right now? It's like, it's after six o'clock. And he goes, yeah, I don't know. They have the lead. Then uh, I don't know what's happening. And I come out there and I look at the TV and I just start laughing and I shook my head. And my first thought was of you, sir. I just, I thought of you and I was like, oh no, (laughs) oh no, Scott. (laughs) I mean, you guys went on the road and beat a Rams team that was fighting for playoff division dominance. Now, 
I know that you feel a certain kind of way. And in the interest of I mean, this, this is the week of Festivus. We just aired our Festivus episode of the Bills podcast. I give you the floor to air as many of your grievances against this team as you feel necessary. Well, let me first start by saying that poor Michael Nania, I just spoke to him on the phone for about an hour and I think I dragged him down into the abyss with me because he was doing everything he could to try and cheer himself up. But I think after we spoke, he now is sort of where I'm at. And part of that is because I've been through so much more of this than he has since he's a lot younger. But the best way I could put this is, and I was telling you before we started recording, Drew, I've had plenty of times where the Jets have let me down as a fan. I, you know, we, we could go through this chapter and verse. There's no need. There's a million things that, that have happened. Games, Peyton Manning deciding to stay in school, although ultimately the Jets weren't going to draft him anyway. But you could go down the list of things. But I think the reason this made me so mad and continues to piss me off so much is because this was the Jets' chance to finally right the wrong of the last decade, and really even more than that, but the last decade even more so, because this team has been so bad, and this year they were 0-13, and the, the, there was supposed to be a light at the end of the tunnel, some gold at the end of the rainbow, and it, it's almost like I'm at the end of the rainbow, I'm about to grab the gold, and somebody just snatches it away from me and says, sorry, sucker. I, I can't even describe how – and then the worst part is hearing these players after the game and during the week, I, I can't tell you how frustrating it is as a fan to hear Henry Anderson, who, by the way, was one of Mike McCagnon's worst mistakes, a three-year, $25 million contract for a guy who on his best day is maybe a decent – defensive lineman comes out and says that this was the happiest moment of his NFL career, the biggest win. He's never, what kind of loser are you that that is the biggest moment or the happiest moment of your career? You could go down the list. Adam Gase, Adam Gase actually said that this was a happier locker room than when the Broncos won the Super Bowl when he was the offensive coordinator <laughs> because, and I'm not making this up, the Broncos were expecting to win and this team pulled off an upset. <laughs> they were 0-13 going into this game and he's sitting there telling Jets fans that this is a happier moment in the locker room than winning a freaking Lombardi trophy. <laughs> Think about that for a second. The Lucy. Let's be real about what this it's insane. And let's be real about what that is, by the way. Adam Gase kept his mouth shut this entire time about the fans. He knew they were, since early last year, fans were wanting him out. Fire Gase, the billboards, whatever it was, everybody on Twitter, he held his tongue. And then once they got this win, and he knew that he had robbed Jets fans of the only thing that they wanted, that he stole it from them. That's when he comes out and says stuff like, I'm so glad that we could do this for our Hall of Fame running back. Or <laughs> the thing about the Broncos. This is him spitting in our faces one last time on his way out the door. 
So let me ask you a question. A couple weeks ago on this very podcast, Chris fielded a question to you. Gase, better or worse than Kotite? And we just heard the owner talking about how much did the former owner of the Jets talking about his motivation to hire a Kotite. He felt like he deserved something. He needed to win now. The Jets made the same decision in hiring Adam Gase. And you came on the show and told us that you didn't think he was worse than Kotite. Have you had a chance to revisit that? Here's what I'll say. I still think that Kotite was a worse coach than Gase. And, I mean, look, let's just be real about this. The 96 team was so much better than this team. And to whatever you want to say about Gase, that team at least was trying which I don't think would have been the case. And in fact, I know it wasn't the case this late in the season with Kotite. So I'll say that. I, as bad as Gase is as a coach, he's horrendous. I still think Kotite was, was worse by a, a fairly decent margin. But in terms of but the terrible of the, things he's done to you. <laughs> right, right. In terms of the damage done, I think that Gase has, has far surpassed because of what's going on now. I mean, Albert Breer today said, that the Jets may have set themselves back 15 years, which I think is, is probably the case. I mean, look, then on top of all this, and you guys know, I, I just said before that I've had season tickets for 35 years, and seven days a week I do these podcasts, and you and Chris are a team. Chris does the production, the editing, you guys book guests. I do everything. I do the production, I do the editing, I book the guests. I record the shows, I do the prep work, all of it, seven days a week. It practically ends up being like a full-time job. Plus, of course, then i got to follow all the news, i got to watch the games. And Makai Becton, bless his heart, who is a great player, and I'm, I'm glad he's here because, you know, he's one of the best things that they've had this year. He comes out, first he says that anybody that was rooting for the tank is, quote, not a real fan. True. <laughs> I've sat in blizzards. I've sat in rainstorms. I've sat in heat so sweltering that my clothes were sticking to my body. I've been at training camp where it cost me money to drive out there and tolls and all this stuff. I could go down the list. I've sat through Rich Kotite and Joe Walton and Adam Gase and Todd Bowles and heartbreaking, back-breaking incident after incident, season after season. I watched the Jets call in 41-year-old Vinny Testaverde off of his couch because their two starting quarter, their two top quarterbacks, Pennington and Jay Fiedler, got hurt for the year in the same damn game. I could sit here for hours and tell you stories of stuff I've experienced. This kid is 21 years old. He just got here. The depth of his knowledge of the Jets organization was when he got drafted, he said he remembered Brett Favre was here once. Okay? <laughs> and now he's going to stand there and tell kid. me and all these other people. And by the way, just so you know, I spoke to a Jets beat reporter who is close with the legendary Ira from Staten Island, who's bled Jets for even longer than I have. And he was gutted over this. So just so you know. I was always looking on the bright side. He was gutted over this. This kid's going to stand there and tell me and the 98% of the fan base that we're all not real fans. 
Well, and that I think is one of the hardest pills to come out of this to swallow is hearing the players and the coaching staff talk down to you guys as fans as if you you haven't suffered, as if you don't know. It it rings a sort of tone deaf, which and and you know who I'll forgive in this? I'll forgive Makai Becton. I'll forgive him because what he is is a he's a big kid who's not used to losing. He's not used to losing. He well, won. He should be. He played at Louisville. Well, I know. I understand. And that was probably frustrating enough for him because when you're a Makai Becton, your team Drew, goes Drew, to Drew, goes. Makai Becton said this was like the Super Bowl for him. Do you understand? Oh, how Jesus! That feels to somebody like me. Oh my God! Well, see, and that's the thing. Those are the things that make you. You look at that guy and you go, "Yeah, okay." So you can bench press a house. That that comment still makes me want to fight you. I understand. Oh my God! I right. I hear it. I just when I saw this play out, obviously we. I mean, our brand is the Pettiest Bills Podcast, but there was a part of me that just said, "Oh no, Scott! Oh no, Scott! I hope he's okay." <laughs> well, here here's the thing, though, guys. Like. I understand, like, so this is the, I understand players are upset that the fans are rooting against them. Fine. No problem. But either take the high road, which to his credit, Sam Darnold did. And if anybody has the, I suppose you would say motivation to say something nasty, it would have been him. But to his credit, he was smart enough not to do it. But when Conor McGovern comes out and says, it's easy for some guy on his couch eating pizza and drinking beer to, to say this, but you've never put on the pads and you don't know what it feels like. Well, first of all, plenty of Jets fans have played organized football at some point in their life. Second of all, we live in New York, so you're damn right we're eating pizza on the couch. <laughs> but third of all, dude, the reason why people were rooting against you is because the team was awful, including you, by the way, Connor McGovern, because... You sucked for the first, like, ten weeks of the season. So you just got here, and no one wants to hear a lecture from you. But the the culture is, I think, so aggravating. Like, you know who you didn't hear from? You know who wasn't taking a victory lap? You know who wasn't standing there telling everybody that they were jerks for rooting against them or wasn't celebrating like he just won the Super Bowl? Quinn and Williams. You know Why? Because Quentin Williams is a winner. He played at Alabama. He played for Nick Saban. He knows what it's like to deal with winning. He knows what it's like to play for a guy who would never tolerate a comment like that. Could you imagine what Bill Belichick would say if somehow his (laughs) team was 0-6 or whatever and some player on the team came out and said, man, that felt good. That was like a Super Bowl win. Bill Belichick would release that guy on the spot. He took. He, I, I'm, you're I'm, talking about a guy, a coach, who took a running back who had 200 plus yards and multiple touchdowns on primetime TV, and benched him for the remainder of the season because he was late to meetings. There's yeah. no entertaining of that kind of. If you rocked a boat like that, I don't even know if he. I don't even know if cuts the right word for it. He might have you loaded onto a boat and tipped over into the middle of the Atlantic <laughs> somewhere. I mean, that's, that's what would happen if you did that to somebody like Nick, like, like a Bill Belichick or a Nick Saban. I, I just, I look at this and I know there's so much acrimony right now. I mean, this was, listen, it was enough 
of a thing to drag retired New York City curmudgeon <laughs> Joe Bonigo off the couch to call into WFAN. I listened to his appearance and he goes, bro, and you know, bro, bro, I was rooting. I was rooting for this team to get a win at some point. You know, I, I was doing it because I want oh. because you're old and you're going to die soon. You're not going to be here when the team is good. <laughs> so, of course, you want to win now. <laughs> I just I hope that there's something out there for the fan base to grab onto that's positive sometime soon. Now, I, I also want to throw in there, Drew, real quickly. I'm sorry to interrupt, no. but no. one thing that has really erupted now, and you're going to see more of this over the next couple of weeks and months as we get ready for the draft, is that there is a segment of Jets fans that are choosing to live in denial. Now, what I mean is, when the Bills drafted Josh Allen, I thought that it was a terrible decision, and I'll tell you why. Josh Allen, I forget who said this, but I thought it was a great analogy. It, it, it's almost like if if Josh Allen is a, a car, like a, a, a beautiful sports car, and he gets to, you order it, you pay for it, it comes to your house, and all of a sudden you look and it's just the parts of the car. And the car company says, hey, here's the car. Enjoy building it. Because that's really what Allen was. He was somebody with incredible raw tools, great arm, incredible athlete, size, all of that. But it was going to require a Herculean effort to the point where it had actually never been done that a guy was as bad in a variety of areas as Allen was at Wyoming back in the NFL. So I thought, this is crazy. They're betting on an outlier. This is insane, right? But to their credit, the Bills did everything in an elite manner. And I'll say this. If they had gone wrong in any slight way along the way, it may not have worked, right? So let's go through this. Brandon Bean constructing the roster. McDermott, Dable, the position coaches, finding ways to, to build up around his strengths and teach him to up his weaknesses. And then it's Allen himself. I remember having on a, a beat reporter who covered Wyoming football leading up to the draft and saying how I just I couldn't believe that this guy would be good in the NFL because... He had so many things wrong with him. And what he said to me was, I know Josh Allen really well. I've gotten to know him really well. Don't bet against Josh Allen. He may not succeed, but he's going to break his back trying. And to his credit, that's a big part of why Allen became the success that he is, is because all of those factors and Allen broke his back and it all just clicked. And now the Bills have a guy who, look, year one, he was bad. Year two, I don't really think he was that good. But this year, he broke out, and he's a, he is a legitimate Pro Bowl player that you can now build your team around. And it's, it's amazing. It, it, to me, it, it, it just shows you that sometimes even low-percentage bets can pay off, and it worked out beautifully. But now, you look at the Jets, and Darrell was the opposite. It was, oh, well, he's got some flaws, right? He fumbles a little too much, and his mechanics aren't great, but those are easily fixable. 
And by the end of his rookie year, you were like, oh, this, he's starting to look pretty good. But he's now devolved to the point where he had a 200-yard passing performance on Sunday and didn't throw interceptions, and people are acting like he's Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> and so now you're going to see a civil war among Jets fans where there's going to be this thought of building around, keeping Donald and building around him as opposed to doing the smart thing, which would be going in another direction. And I'll say this to you guys. Let's use Marcus Mariota as uh, an example. Now, I know he's under contract for another year to the Raiders, but he's going to make 11 mil, and maybe they don't have that kind of money to spend on a backup quarterback because they're going to be up against the cap. Or maybe they'll look to trade him, whatever it is. Let's just use him as an example. A new coach comes in here with no ties to Darnold, no allegiances to him. And they do what, say, Chicago did with Trubisky, with Foles, right? They bring in Mariota. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Marcus Mariota would come in here and mop the floor with Sam Darnold in an open quarterback competition. Absolutely destroy him. And you're looking at, at best, what Chicago is doing this year, but probably worse because they don't have Chicago's defense. And another thing, let's use Brian Dable as an example because you guys know him very well from what he's done with Bills, right? I'm not really keen on hiring Dable. And it's nothing against him. It's just that hiring coordinators has never really worked out well for the Jets. They've literally never hired one who's been a success. So... Let's use him as an example anyway, though, and say that the Jets want Brian Dable, okay? Hey, Brian Dable, how's it going? This is Woody Johnson, owner of the Jets. Oh, hey, Mr. Johnson, uh, thanks for calling. Hey, listen, uh, we'd like you to come in here, take the job, and just completely, completely fix him. Um, uh, oh, hold on, my phone is ringing, Mr. Johnson. I'll get right back to you. Hey, uh, is this Brian Dable? Yeah, hey, this is the L.A. Chargers. How'd you like to come work with Justin Herbert? Yeah, hey, Mr. Johnson, I'm going to have to go. Uh, I've got a pizza in the oven. I'll, I'll catch you later. Click. Oh. So that's the other thing that isn't registering with people. It's that now you're in a situation where if they don't draft a QB, which they might not, you're dealing with another year of the Darnold fiasco, and you're crippling the head coaching search. Because if you're anybody with options, why do you want to come here for a reclamation project? And that's the thing. The carrot that you guys were supposed to have to lure the head coach was, hey, come here, mm-hmm. Eric Bieniemy, Brian Dable, uh, yep. D- D- Robert Soleil. Come here because you're going to have the number one pick. You're going to have a potential elite quarterback on your roster. They stole that from you on Sunday. And I am... I, 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 I tweeted at you, Joe Caparoso, Connor Rogers, everybody. Kyle Smith. I said, guys, I mean, Kyle Fahey, even though I do like to talk shit to Kyle Fahey, I actually don't care about his feelings well, at all. Well, everybody likes to talk shit to Fahey. That's part <laughs> of the fun of talking to Fahey. I, I, like, I like beating him up, but I don't have it in me as the petty, black-hearted human being I am to make fun of you guys for this because you really did lose in this. This win was the biggest L the Jets have taken in the in the last 10 years that I've paid attention to them. And it's going to be hard to see where they go from here. 
But the good thing is, is that you're going to be out there covering it all, crawling out of the wreckage, <laughs> figuring out how you guys God, move help. forward as a franchise. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social and what you have coming up this week over there at Play Like a Jet? I think we're at the bargaining stage of this because now okay. a lot of people are like, what if they draft Penny Sewell? And, like, I mean, Donald has to be good if they have Penny Sewell and Makai Becton, right? <laughs> and what if they get, like, Allen Robinson? And it's like, yeah, I get it. If they have all pros at every damn position, they're going to be awesome. Uh, good, great. Um, so I will be covering all of this wreckage and uh, the sadness and all of that uh, every day, seven days a week. And that'll explain to you why, by this time next year, when I come on these roundtables, I'll probably sound like a mental patient if I don't already. <laughs> but you can catch the show uh, on all the major podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, all that. And it's seven days a week. You can catch me on Twitter. I play like a Jet One. Monday's post-game report with Andy Vasquez from NorthJersey.com. Tuesdays, it's, there's always next year with Brian Bassett, uh, Travis Milton, and Josh Conrad. And by the way, those guys were pretty funny this week, as I'm sure you can imagine. Yep. Wednesday, we've been doing draft stuff. So Charlie Campbell from WalterFootball.com and the aforementioned Mr. Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report come on and we talk draft. Thursday, we do uh, uh, news, midweek news with Chris Ryan of NJ.com. Friday, we take a look at the stats with Michael Nania. Saturday, your old buddy Joe Blewett joins us to talk about the film. And then on Sunday, it's the pregame report and mailbag with Chris Nimbley of JetsInsider.com. And WalterFootball.com's Walter Cherapinski comes on with his gambling tips to hopefully make us a few bucks. Because if we're going to watch the Jets do this, maybe we can at least make a few dollars. should also throw in that I'm at the bargaining stage myself here because... I, as we record this, I'm getting ready to sit down and watch Zach Wilson, the quarterback from BYU, and try and talk myself into him. So <laughs> no! That's no. where this is headed right now. Oh, no! Don't, so don't go to the light! Don't go to the light, Scott! <laughs> <laughs> but, boys, as always, I love talking to you. I appreciate you having me on, and I'm glad that you were able to indulge me in my anger here this week. And I look forward to talking to you weekly the rest of this year and then into next year. It, it is a, a, a nice thing to be able to be the guest instead of the host sometimes. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE. Are all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. <laughs> it's hard to feel bad for Jets fans right now, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, you're so close to getting a generational quarterback with the first pick, and you fail. What? Here's what I don't. I think I would feel more pity for their fan base if their fans didn't every single year. 
talk down to us as if for some reason they're like, I get it when Patriots fans do it. I get it when Patriots fans are like, oh, yeah, six rings. Oh, you can talk all the smack you want. I got six rings. Okay, I understand that. Your team won six titles and mine has four Super Bowl losses. I understand that. But the Jets? You don't get to talk to me. You haven't been to a Super Bowl in 50 years. Yeah. Most people's most people's fathers haven't seen a Super Bowl. That's how they are. Most current Jets fans' fathers our age have not seen a Super Bowl. Yeah, that's odd, weird. It's it's horrible, is what it is. So you don't get to trash talk me, and when they do, I feel like these are the moments that they... It's like you're manifesting this. You just don't know you're doing it until it happens. But the Buffalo Bills, they manifested something else this weekend. As they went out to they went out west and they beat the Denver Broncos 48 to 19. And it opens up a can of worms that we haven't had to talk about in forever, Chris. To start or to sit your players. And I guess you as a team get a look at the playoff field. I mean, this is the first time the Bills have ever been faced with a conundrum like this. I mean, we convincingly dismantled the Broncos on Saturday to earn the title AFC's champions for the first time since Pogs were cool. And since I was roller skating to Gangster's Paradise and TLC's Waterfalls on Friday nights over at the Angola Roller Rink. Now, we have a full recap and discussion with Bill's Captain Reed Ferguson over in our Rockpile Report podcast, which hopefully you've gone and listened to. But in the wake of that, we're faced with this interesting debate. And I... (laughs) One, I, I, Chris, I was honestly shocked to see people having it because it hasn't been a topic of conversation since I, at least in the time I was old enough to buy beer. Should the Bills sit their starters or put some effort into trying to manipulate their future playoff opponent? Now, first, Chris, your philosophy is on this whole thing, protecting the health of your players versus winning as many games as possible. Which of the two of those is more important to you as a fan? All depending on what happens this weekend for the Bills and people in the playoffs, I would sit people in week 17 if it means giving Miami a win to keep Baltimore out of the playoffs. Okay, so so you're talking about playoff field manipulation. Yeah. But in terms of just philosophically, start your starters every game, go out and try to win, or play it safe, bench them, hope for the best. Play it safe in week 17. Okay. This is where this gets muddy because there's limited evidence that a fake bye week actually actually helps. I mean, some of those teams go on to fail miserably. I mean, what, 2010, the Eagles as a third seed, they fall to the Packers in the first round, which it was, they went an uncharacteristic 5-13 and 13 on third down. Struggled early after a season of fast starts and strong finishes, which should sound familiar to Bills fans because that's been our team all year and could never get back in the game once they lost the lead. In 2018, the L.A. Rams, as a three seed, fall to the Falcons in the first round. They get outplayed by the Falcons in all three phases. I mean, Goff was rusty. He finishes the game with a 53.3 rating, and their offense takes three quarters to actually get moving, and by the time it matters, the game's already over. I think there's enough evidence that not every team who sits their starters does well the following week. The Bills did that 
last year. How did that pan out for us? We had a hot start. Yeah, we missed seven points at the opening kickoff of the second half. <laughs> and then, but I can't argue with your logic because according to the inf- information and data over at mangameslost.com, it does keep your players healthy. Obviously not playing them. The teams that have rested starters in Week 17 go into their playoff game healthier than those who choose not to, just based on the percentages. So that was a rager of a debate over on the Twitter machine on Saturday and Sunday, mostly because no one thought that the Steelers would continue their slow descent into hell by by continuing the losing streak. Losing to the Bengals on Monday Night Football, the Ryan Finley-led Bengals. That was a great game. I've, I avoided watching that game for fantasy reasons because I was ahead uh, three and a half points in my semis, and I was going against Juju Smith-Schuster. So all he had to do was get four points, and I lost. Nope. He can only muster one fantasy point. I move on to the finals. I got lucky. <laughs> This I mean, this game was an abomination. I didn't want to watch it. I did not want to watch it. And my wife, being the gem that she is, I'm working on podcast stuff and I'm, well, actually, I'm trying to rescue a computer from <laughs> just a whole, my technology has been failing me all week, people. I lost a phone, a laptop, but luckily I have low tech. Right, right now I'm using an HP stream from 2015 to do this podcast. You can't keep me down. No technological failures will derail this train. The Rockpile Report moves on. But I'm working on the laptop situation, and my wife goes, are you sure you don't want to watch Monday Night Football? And I go, no, why? Why would I care about that? I I was snapping at her because I was angry. Chris, do I ever do that to you? Uh, Every day of my life. And she goes, it's halftime, and Ben Roethlisberger has 19 passing yards. And I was like, oh, wait, everything has to stop because I have to see this. I mean, to your point, the only place Juju Smith-Schuster put up numbers was TikTok. That's it. Sure as hell wasn't on the football field. But keep dancing. Keep dancing. Woo! But their loss moved the Buffalo Bills up to the two seed, something a few weeks ago most of the football world believed was a pipe dream. So that, Chris, almost guarantees that you have to keep fighting for a victory, correct? Yeah. So with that in mind, you're, you're now talking about playoff scenarios. I, Greg Thompson over at Cover One, he tweeted out, week si- his dream scenario, Week 16, Green Bay beats Tennessee, Pittsburgh loses to Indy, and Buffalo beats New England to lock up the number two seed. And then in Week 17, Cleveland beats Pittsburgh, Tennessee beats <laughs> Tennessee, Indy, and Baltimore all win. We rest our starters. So Miami wins knocking Baltimore out of the playoffs and we get a rematch with Tua in a game that actually matters. Yeah, and then we all go to Ponderosa and celebrate. Chris, I'll never set foot in a Ponderosa again. Hey. I say again you because... Set the, the, you set that bet with Tom set. The last time I was ever in a... No, because I'm going to... White Linen, sir. Yeah. White, white Linen Restaurant. Because I'll tell you what, the last time can, I was in a Ponderosa was hung over after the Great Valley Regatta... I'm pretty sure I still had someone else's chew spit in my hair. 
it was, those types of people shouldn't be allowed in a rest. Like that's, I'm not going to eat a steak in a place where somebody can walk in like that. I'm if you're not accosted at the door by security and thrown out walking into a restaurant like that, I'm not eating a steak. I'm there. sure Ponderosa will let you bring in your own white linen. <laughs> I guess the question is when you look at this, like obviously people out there are putting thought into the playoff matches they desire. So we, for the first time, get to talk about the matchups we do and don't want instead of just being happy, trying to be happy, happy to be here. And that, I think, is worth toasting. So cheers. So in terms of matchups, I guess this is where this is where some gamesmanship comes into hand. What teams do you personally not want the Bills to see in the first round? Uh, Baltimore, just because of Bill Barnwell. <laughs> No, see, I want that. I want that. No, I want him out of the playoffs so we can just... Oh, so we can roast Bill? Yeah. I think he has us muted, but it doesn't matter. Because I'm going to... Chris, you know me. Yeah. I'm petty. We can make burners. For, for all of the pettiness that I'm not projecting towards Jets fans and their time of suffering, I'm going to take that out on Bill. Especially yeah. if they he miss the playoffs. It. Especially if these Ravens miss the playoffs. Because I thought Lamar Jackson could take any team to a Super Bowl. Exactly. When I look at this field, there's a couple teams that stick out to me like sore thumbs, and I say, I want none of that. The first one is the Titans. I, they, their play style just doesn't match up well for us, or anyone for that matter. Look at the Browns game as an example of this. The Browns, I think what, the lead was 24 nothing. I think it was worse than that. 24 nothing. And as the game's winding down, it becomes a 17-point lead. Do you realize that means that over the course of a game, they just kept chipping away at this? They scored 20-some-odd points. Chris, pull up the box score from that game. Go find it for me. When I look at the Titans, here's what I see. I see a team with an elite talent that nobody knows what to do about, and that's Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is this gross outlier. The same way Josh Allen is this physical freak gross outlier at quarterback, Derrick Henry is that at the running back position. Because you're not supposed to be that fast when you're that big. You're not supposed to be able to deadlift a thousand pounds and then also run a four 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 five. It was thirty eight to seven at halftime. Yes. What was the final score? Forty one to thirty five. So what we learned is that in a single half of football, that Tennessee Titans team without Derrick Henry being the primary catalyst of it. And this is what I was about to hit on. And I'm timely with the numbers. Their offense is predicated on the run. We know that. They like to bludgeon people over the head with them. They're more than happy to give him 30 carries, 250 yards, and multiple touchdowns. They will maul you to death with him. And if you decide as a team... Hey, I'm going to play you straight up. I'm going to take away the run and I'm going to dare Ryan Tannehill to beat me. They'll still beat you. They'll just do it by a field goal or two. It, it won't be a blowout, but it'll be, they'll still pull it off. And in that game against the Browns, when they went, what, what, what was it at halftime again? 30, 38 to 7. 38 to 7 at halftime. And yet to know that you closed it in that second half and scored, what, 24 points? In a half, without, without being able to rely on your running game as the primary catalyst of it, that's the mark of a dangerous offense. True or false? Yeah, 
I'm not. Okay. I'm not interested in seeing Tennessee. I want nothing to do with that team. I want to stay as far away from them as possible. And if that means having to win the number two seed in order to do it, if that means that having to win the number two seed in order to make sure that the only time I could possibly run into them in the postseason is if it's on my home turf in the AFC title game. Yeah. So be it. That's what you have to do. Indy is like a smaller, or a smaller version of that. Right? A solid offensive line, better than average rushing attack, and a savvy quarterback who has just enough weapons around him to be dangerous. I mean, I think we match up better against Indy than we do Tennessee, but Tennessee, they're lurking out there. They're a hard out for anybody. Yeah, I'm, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Indianapolis in the first round. <laughs> Who would you prefer? Now, you if there was a team that you could pick for the Bills to play? Uh, I'd probably go with... I'd go Miami or Indianapolis or Cleveland. No, but if you had to pick one, who do you want in the wild card? If I had to choose, you know, give me Cleveland. You want Cleveland? That's interesting. Why? Why Cleveland? Battle of Lake Erie. (laughs) Last time both of us were in the playoffs, I don't even think we... We might have been two or three. You know that my stance on this is that the Bills and the Browns shouldn't be allowed to play their games, regardless of who's home and away, anywhere in the lower 48. They need to take that stuff, like like the new, like the uh, hydrogen bomb tests, they yeah. need to take that out to the Marshall Islands and play those games away from everyone so that no innocent bystanders are hurt. Because that's what happens when you put our two teams together. I think that's a terrible idea. No, give me Cleveland. <laughs> I want Miami. I want a rookie quarterback in a high-pressure situation against our team. I think I like our odds. You know, as we got, as we saw this week, this Miami team is good, but they're not elite in any one facet. That's the type of playoff team you almost want to see as a high seed, right? Yeah. You don't have any elite traits anywhere on your roster. You're good. You're not great at any one thing. I feel like that is what you should aspire to if you're the number two team and rooting for a playoff opponent. But in order to do that, we have to get to the number two. I firmly believe that as the Bills try to navigate this, I I know I've heard people say, hey, well, if they lose this game and this team wins and that team wins, and because they play late, they own their own destiny so they could dictate who they play. Do you see this football team doing anything other than trying to win? Sean McDermott, I don't think, is built to do anything but that. I guess it depend. It's going to depend on what comes down for Week 17. You know, if they win on Monday night against the Patriots, and what else happens around the AFC, and how the cards fall will dictate what we do. I'll tell you in what. Seventeen. That Sunday night game just became appointment watching for Bills fans everywhere. Don't stay up too late because you get our game to watch the next day. But that game is going to be very important to the future of the Buffalo Bills. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. 
You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Is we kind of, you know, Chris, we're talking about the playoffs. We're talking about the playoffs. We have a team that's inching that much closer to clinching their own playoff spot in the Miami Dolphins, who just beat the New England Patriots 22-12. to And as always, here to talk to us about it is Mr. Elf Artiaga. How are you doing, sir? Great. Is that a great, like an emphatic great? I mean, I guess my, my first question to you, if we open up this conversation, is, was this game more frustrating or less frustrating to watch than the Kansas City game last week? Well, the Kansas City game, you could tell that, you know, we were playing against a really, really good team. And, you know, we were missing a lot of opportunities to win the game. But even then, at the end, you know, we came close and it was a ball game in the last three minutes. In this game, it was obvious to anybody who was watching the game that it was just a matter of time. And we we talked about this on the on the podcast. We scored twenty two points, but we did that on eight drives, and we ran for two hundred and fifty six yards. Okay, we had a fumble recovery for a touchdown returned back for a for a for a because of a penalty. Well, not a penalty. Kristen Wilkins had his foot on the side on the sideline, and the ball clipped up of off of his knee when Xavier Howard picked it up and ran it back for a touchdown. So we had that called back. We faked the punt that we got 30 yards on, called back because one guy didn't report eligible. Okay? We converted a fourth down that was called back. You start adding all these things up. Okay? We dropped an interception. You start adding all these things up. And we talked about it on the three yards per carry podcast. We're talking about inches away from a final score that could have been something like 40 to 12. <laughs> you know? So... You know, it, it was very satisfying win, is what I can say about this past week. Well, and that's good, because I was listening to it. I was running errands. I was doing things. I wasn't really paying attention to Sunday football, mostly because I was a perfect combination of hungover and just apathetic. I was like, nothing matters anymore. The Bills won the division. I don't have to watch this, so I'm not going to subject myself to it. I'm going to hang out. I actually uh, went and made died. Uh, Gordon Ramsay's ultimate steak sandwich. I, I poured like two hours into that, and it was one of the best things I've ever made, I think. But at the same time, I just had no stomach for football. And yet, I was listening to your game, and as I'm hearing it, I'm like, God, this just sounds... <laughs> this thing sounds like if I was a Miami fan or a New England fan, I'm probably at home screaming at my TV. 
Oh, and, and how can I forget? We had uh, a 12 play, 95 yard drive that ended in no points. <laughs> oh, was that the pick in the end zone? Yeah, that's the pick in the end zone. As Tua was a little late, he gets hit, he flutters it out there, and he gets picked in the end zone. Well, well so, let's talk about that a little bit. Tua Tagovailoa. Now you've gotten to see how many weeks he was replaced after what? He's five and two as a starter, so that's seven. okay. So he's five and two. So we're seven weeks in. You're watching. I think one of the concerns that I'd have as an outsider, and I guess that I'm looking for your insight on. He's still working on that ability to be clutch. I mean, he made a lot of first-half mistakes, and some of it seemed to trickle down to the rest of the team. I mean, he had that interception, a couple untimely sacks that affected field goal range. Like, they're just there's some things there that he's still working through. But to your point, he's 5-2. and two. But you're, you guys are nearing the point of the season where you're going to get thrown into the fire because you're going to get thrown into, if you make the postseason... You're going to get thrown into it along with a lot of other good football teams, something we just got done talking about with the Bills, where if you're trying to match up watch, you can do that to a certain degree, but every team you play is going to be quality because that's the only way you make the playoffs in the NFL. This isn't hockey where half the league gets in. So with just two weeks to go, from what you've seen from Tua over this five and two, seven week span, how confident are you in him in the postseason against another quality team? Utterly confident because okay. you know how, how people say, uh, you know, that that team had a bunch of practice squad players, right? And it's a team skill position players. Mm-hmm. Well, the Dolphins this past week actually did have a practice squad playing with him. And he still produced three touchdowns in the second half. And to be honest, we should have had five, okay? He was 20 of 26. They had a stat out today. It was the most accurate game of the season thus far because he had four drop balls, and all four balls were considered catchable. So you're talking about a quarterback that went 24 of 26 running what was essentially a ball control game plan. They ran for 256 yards. He ran for two touchdowns. So, yeah, I'm extremely confident because you got to think about what they were missing out there. They actually elevated three wide receivers from the practice squad for the game. (laughs) They elevated a tight end from the practice squad for the game, and they activated a running back that was out for the last three weeks to play for the first time. And, of course, he ran for 122 yards in Saban (laughs) Ackman. So we're talking about a guy that went out there with actual practice squad players against, and, uh, you know, whatever you may think of the Patriots, they're still the seventh-ranked defense in the NFL. Their defense is pretty good. And, like I said, he had three touchdowns against them on eight drives and probably should have had five. So it was a good performance overall. So the health of this team seems to be, I mean, we talked about it last week, how depth is an issue, and we kind of knew that was going to be something coming into the season in terms of how this roster was constructed. We're starting to see it kind of pop up in spots. Like you said, you've got practice squad wide receivers. Lynn Bowden caught a big pass. I remember hearing that and thinking to myself, mm-hmm. Lynn Bowden, if he's if he's one of those primary targets running around out there, you've done something. Like something bad has happened here. With the depth of the team going up against, I mean, you've got two stiff competitions ahead of you. And it sucks for you guys that the Steelers lost because now the Bills have potentially, depending on what happens with the Titans in Green Bay, 
something to play for week 17. So it's it could be you're, f- you're facing a motivated Bills team to come out there and play against you. With the injuries that are starting to rack up, not just to your skill positions. I mean, you lost Devontae Parker, you lose Jakeem Grant. Then this week I see Solomon Kinley go down. And I believe there was a couple other guys who were nicked up on the defense. Is depth becoming an issue? And how concerned are you about that? Not too concerned because uh, they're actually getting some help. Uh, Before the game against the Patriots, and I thought it was really interesting, uh, all these guys were like a game-time decision. And then it was just odd that the game was going to start and it was a game-time decision. And Brian Flores says, oh, remember all those those seven guys that we said were a game-time decision? None of them are playing. Okay. And then after the game, he was asked, you know, you know, what's the status of, of the seven guys that you said were a game-time decision? And he said, no, it came down to the wire, and we decided to hold them out. They're all practicing this week. So it looks like some help was on the way against the Raiders. You could expect Miles Gaskin back from the COVID list. Mike Gusecki is going to play. What? Devon- whoa, yes. whoa, 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 whoa. I watched that man get broken. I watched it happen. You mean to tell me he's going to go out there and run routes? Well, he's uh, he went on Instagram and he says, the show must go on. I'm going to play this week. And that was for the, the Patriots game. He was held out of the Patriots game. He's practicing this week. So he's hell-bent on playing against the Raiders. Devontae Parker's absolutely coming back. And uh, you were talking about Lynn Bowden. He's been a bright spot. Like uh, he's the guy. He's the guy that we traded for. In preseason, when we traded Raquan McMillan, our middle linebacker, and replaced him with Landon Roberts, mm-hmm. we traded Raquan McMillan. It, it, basically, it was a swap of our middle linebacker for their second-round pick that they tried to turn into a running back. I don't understand why they, tur- they tried to turn him into a running back because he's actually been a pretty decent wide receiver the last few weeks, and I think he's found a role on this team. He's kind of their gimmick guy and their slot wide receiver, and a guy that Dolphin fans are really like pretty fond of as far as you know going forward and for the future. He sounds like Isaiah McKenzie. How, how many jet sweeps do they run with him? A bunch, like three, <laughs> like three a game. And not only do they run three a game, but uh, they run passes with him like twice a game. So they give him jet sweeps, and he threatens to pass, and then he runs with it. He had one play, which I thought was it was it was a hilarious play because he reversed fields three times. And they said that he almost set a record for the most yardage ran for a 15-yard gain because I think he got about 15 yards but ran like 85. (laughs) So he's been a fun player to watch. He's a guy that I think sticks going forward because you got to remember he was a second-round pick. And no fault of his own, the Raiders tried to turn him into a running back, I guess because of his size. And the Dolphins decided, you know what, we'll take him off your hands. And we'll play him at wide receiver. And he's been good. Wait, whoa, whoa. The Raiders making a poor choice. Shock, <laughs> shocker. Whoa. I've never, Elf, I've never heard of this before. You mean to tell me that that, that franchise can be bamboozled? Whoa. Well, it's interesting that Lynn Bowden at Memphis was a quarterback and a wide receiver. Okay. Those are the two positions that he played. He was effective in those two positions. Then you go out and you use a second round pick on him. And then when he comes to camp, you say, okay, you're going to be a running back now, and you're going to back up Josh Jacobs. And evidently evidently he was pretty surly in camp, and then uh, yeah. John Gruden says, all right, let's, let's just get this guy out of here. 
And yeah, Uber, ever since he came to us, we've turned him into a wide receiver, and he's been good the last few weeks. They precipitated and had that good game problem. against the Chiefs. Had a good game against the Chiefs. They precipitated their own problem in that regard. Kudos on you guys for taking advantage of it. I, I just, man, I, two questions before we let you go. The first one, you kind of stole some of our thunder in terms of I really, really, really wanted to be the ones. Like, when I saw that Monday Night Football game against the Patriots, I said, this is it. This is our mm-hmm. chance to kick their teeth in in front of the whole country, <laughs> eliminate them from the playoffs, and you stole our thunder. <laughs> so how what did that feel like for you guys? I mean, did you guys get any kind of uh, – did you get any juice from that as a fan base knowing you were the ones who knocked them out? It was a lot of fun. The fan base had had a blast with it, and it's it's also interesting to to note that you know we seem to make a habit of beating them late in the season in <laughs> Miami. So you know it was expected. You know we were a favorite for the game, so we did expect to to beat them. And to be honest with you, a lot of fans were expecting a beatdown of the Patriots. I thought that they would go out fighting and. They kind of didn't, although they did have a lead, you know, early in the fourth quarter, but it was one of those leads that you knew wasn't going to last. They kick a field goal to take the lead, and we march right down the field, just running the ball down their throat. So, you know, they've gone out with a whimper. They have a lot of injuries, and you guys should really roll up a big number on them. And how confident are you in terms of your odds against the Raiders? This is a desperate team. This is a team that knows it's on the ropes. I mean, that loss against the Chargers pretty much sealed their fate. But Derek Carr is one of those guys, and I, Gruden's too dumb to know when he's beat. This could be a team with their offensive personnel. I mean, I, I got kicked out of fantasy football last week because Marcus Mariota only knows how to throw to Darren Waller. That's how stupid this whole thing has gotten. They have a, quarter, they have a backup quarterback who can only throw to one target. They've got a starting quarterback who got a wonky groin. How afraid of the Raiders are you guys this week? Uh, not too much. Um, our defense, I don't know if you've noticed, but after that debacle in New York, and by the way, how delicious is that that Trevor Lawrence is no longer going to be a New York Jet? <laughs> that was that, the open of the show. It's one of the funniest things that, you know, we had a blast on the Three Yards Per Carry podcast talking about that because we've been talking about it and we've ranked the, the, the prospects. We were... Big, big, big Tua guys, okay, for a long time. But all three of us, and it's rare that all three of us agree, but all three of us agree Trevor Lawrence is the best prospect to come down the pike in ages, maybe since Andrew Luck. He's no longer going to be a New York Jet. But after that debacle, the Miami Dolphins are now the number one scoring defense in the NFL. They're number one on third downs. They're number one in uh, turnover ratio. And... I believe that they're fourth in pressure rate. You know, Derek Carr was essentially put on this earth to be smashed by the <laughs> offense defense. Okay. So, yeah, we feel pretty good about that. And their defense, you know, quite frankly, it's not good. But I do agree, and I said it on, on, on the podcast as well, uh, their offense has a lot of talent. If Josh Jacobs plays, you know, they should hang in there because they can score some points. So I don't expect the Dolphins to roll over them. But they do. the Dolphins kind of do have a theme, right? Like if you look at all of their wins, every single one of their wins is by double digits. So 
I think they still find a way to win by a couple of scores at the end of this, but I don't think it will be easy per se. All right. Well, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social and what you guys have going on over three yards per carry this week? Well, on Twitter, of course, it's three yards per carry. That's the number three yards per carry. And you can find our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, uh, Spotify, Podbeam, iTunes, everywhere. And, of course, the Yardwork series on the YouTube account for Five Reasons Sports Network. It's I have the this past game on there. It's a lot of runs, basically. Because you know, <laughs> well, yeah, that was the soup all, the, all we did in that game. But, you know, you can enjoy that. And, of course, you know, the podcast dropped last night. It's an extended podcast because it's a double podcast for because Christmas we're not doing anything. So you can enjoy that as well. And so as we close out tonight's show, <laughs> I'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the other team in the AFC East. And that's the New England Patriots, who lost twenty-two to twelve to the to the Miami Dolphins. And here to talk to us about the fallout is Locked On Patriots host Mike Debate. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty well, considering the uh, circumstances that we're in right up here now in New England. But uh, you know, as Bill says, it is what it is. So you know what, we roll with it no matter what. Uh, congratulations on the division title, guys. <sighs> Yeah. Why do you have to start being nice to me right out of the gate? Have you gone? I I, I have things that I want to say that are. Well, actually, there's a method to my madness, you know, because seeing how the Patriots are not going to be playing football in January this year, I was going to ask your guys' opinion on what to do on January weekends because it's been so long since I've had one to myself in a long, long time. You guys might have a little more insight as to what I might be able to do with my free time in January. Uh, I'm soliciting all uh, uh, options on the table now. I keep telling my listeners on Lockdown Patriots to give me some suggestions because I won't be covering a playoff team this year, but, uh, you know, I figured maybe maybe you guys might have a little, just a little more insight. I'm not saying a lot. See, this is what I. This is why I love Debate. Debate, he's like, listen, I don't, I don't have, I don't have, I'm not going to come at you 100. percent I'm going to leave it at about 58. Did you at least go <laughs> see that billboard? <laughs> oh, believe me, it's all over my Twitter timeline. I don't need to make the hour trek up to Foxborough just to see it. It looks good, though. From what I've been told, it looks pretty good. Uh, I can't uh, can't say that uh, you know a lot of my uh, constituents up here in Patriots Nation are happy about it. But hey, you know what? You guys earned it. You guys did uh, you know the, the the job with uh, uh, with Fox Sports. You could choose anywhere you wanted to put it. Obviously, it was going to be Foxborough. <laughs> and, uh, I got to give you some props and some ingenuity for doing that right close by to Gillette Stadium. Uh, it's, it's, it, it takes some stones to do it. And Bills fans, you got to give them that. They definitely have uh, some uh, intestinal fortitude uh, to be able to do it. So, uh, uh, no, all kidding aside, I actually think it's pretty funny. So, the New England Patriots, your first playoff list season since 2008, just the second since 2001. How strange... Is it? And just what is it like for Patriots fans knowing that they're not going to see? I mean, they're essentially going to be sitting on the couch watching a bunch of teams that aren't the Patriots for the first time in for some of them their their entire lives. 
come to yeah, party. it's definitely surreal. I mean, if if we're being honest and all kidding aside, uh, it's something that the Patriots fan base, especially in the last twenty years, is not used to. And I know I've said several times here on the pod, oh, I go back to the days of you know Rod Rust and Dick McPherson, and you know the one in sixteen, one in fifteen days, and you know the difficulties that the Patriots had before Robert Kraft purchased the team and Parcells and, and Bledsoe came in. Um, it's going to be a different experience. But look, bottom line is the New England Patriots just simply did not do enough to secure a playoff spot this year. They didn't deserve one. Uh, the way, the erratic way in which they played uh, offensively, this team just never showed any signs of life. Defensively, they were erratic at best. Special teams was solid all year. That's the one area of this team that I will give a lot of credit to. I think they overachieved uh, in terms of what they were expected to do. Jake Bailey, uh, Nick Folk, and, and obviously the coverage team with Justin Bethel and Matthew Slater was solid. But this wasn't a playoff team this year. And I think in a lot of ways, with Cam Newton coming in, a lot of people looked at this team as a potential playoff, maybe even a potential <sighs> sleeper in the AFC. Uh, it just never worked out the way that they had hoped. And whoa, I think whoa, there's whoa, a lot whoa, of reasons some for that. People, I don't want to just lay it on Cam's uh, shoulders. Some people, we had ESPN analysts calling you guys dark horses for the Super Bowl. Don't talk about yeah. some people. <laughs> you, you guys got hyped the second Cam signed with your team. And yet here we are talking about the 2020 New England Patriots and the theme of your team has been loss. Let me run this down. The loss of Tom Brady and the replacement goes 6-7, and seven, which according to Bruce Nolan over at uh, the Bruce Exclusive, wins are not a quarterback stat. He will live and die by that. He threw for less than 3,000 yards, five touchdowns to 10 interceptions. I mean, is it safe to call the Newton experiment a flop? Uh, for this year, I would probably say yes. Uh, and, and not all of that is on Cam's shoulders. Again, that's kind of what the point that I was, I was just making in terms of how this team this year was put together. Look, the arsenal of weapons around him, and I use the weapons with a Z, I guess that's what the kids use on social media, um, that to me has not been impressive. And regardless of which player was going to be throwing them passes, whether it's going to be Cam Newton, whether it's going to be Jarrett Stidham, uh, whether it's going to be pick your average free agent that the Patriots would have had a choice to bring in after Tom chose to take his talents down to Tampa Bay, it's going to be difficult to succeed with a group that essentially doesn't have a clear-cut number one, someone that can get open on the outside, someone that can make things happen. Nikhil Harry is still very slow in his development. I think there's some flashes there, but this kid really has to step it up in year three if he wants to be that type of number one or at least a number two option in a uh, an NFL offense. Jacoby Myers has been very solid in the, uh, in the slot. He's been one of the big surprises this year, and I think he's emerging as a true player. But Jacoby is not a number one receiver, and he probably be the first to tell you that that's simply not what his game is predicated on so you take that coupled with the fact that julian edelman has missed most of the season he's their most experienced wide out the tight end position has been exclusively non-existent uh they really they have not been able to get any production out of ryan Izzo, any production out of devon asiasi uh, or uh dalton keen and they've been riding their running backs and the running backs have performed well. Sony Michelle actually performed pretty well against Miami last week. Damian Harris, up till uh, you know last week, obviously he wasn't in the lineup, but he's been uh, great all season long. 
But what are teams doing? They're stacking the box and they're daring the Patriots to throw the football, and they simply can't do it. And that's the way to neutralize this team. They've been extremely one-dimensional, and you can't win in the NFL one-dimensional any longer. Uh, you're seeing that with the AFC East Division champions this year. Buffalo is multifaceted, and they can beat you in a number of different ways. That's why they're at the top of the division. Even Miami has been much more successful in being multifaceted than the Patriots were this year. That's why they're looking at a third-place finish. Flattery will get you nowhere here, sir. (laughs) Flattery will get you nowhere. Continuing your march of loss, Dante Scarnecchia. Now, this was one that kind of flew under the radar for a lot of people outside of Foxborough. But I know that yourself, Mark Schofield, Chris, we have a recording of Christian. uh, Chris, we have him saying Dante Scarnecchia, and it used to be his intro. Yeah. Because he's Boston as hell. So. Scarnecchia. Scarnecchia. It was one of the funniest things in the world. To lose that guy. And then watch your offensive line and pass protection break down the way that it has, especially when the depth got tested. That used to be Scar's signature was, hey, I can take these young guys and get them NFL ready quick. To lose him this year, the same way you lost Brady, (laughs) you didn't have that security blanket you used to have that fixed all your problems. Skarnakia leaves. This team is forced to turn to the youth on the offensive line, and over the last couple weeks, it's blown up in your face. (sighs) How big would you say Dante Scarnecchio was in the course of all of this? Huge. That's no question about it. I mean, you don't lose a legendary coach like Dante Scarnecchia and expect it not to affect the pass protection, expect it not to affect this team. And look, one of the big things that the Patriots always had, that ace in the hole, is exactly what you said. Look, whether you love Tom Brady like we do in New England or you hate him like you do in Buffalo, you have to give him credit. He's one of the best quarterbacks in history of being able to get rid of the football quickly, read what the defense is doing, and make adjustments on the fly. Patriots simply didn't have that this year. Uh, I don't know if it was just field rust on behalf of Cam Newton or if it was a breakdown in the uh, the offensive line. I still think individually the offensive line performed. Some of the linemen performed pretty well this year. Joe Tooney still performed pretty well. David Andrews was solid in, at center. Michael Wainu was excellent as uh, you know a, a rookie coming in and learning that system. But they simply did not have the depth this team has had in years past. Gone are guys like Ted Karras, uh, who really provided a great deal of uh, help as a swing tackle and even as a backup center last year filling in for David they simply didn't have that and when you lose that and you lose the prowess of a guy like Dante who's been there seen it all done it all you can't expect it not to affect you so that's been a big problem with the Patriots this year as well and also I'm going to put a little on the shoulders of Josh McDaniels the play calling has been very erratic uh, a lot less engin- uh, you know, um, in- intuitive than I really thought it was going to be this year. I figured McDaniels would be able to dial up a lot of those zone reads, a lot of those RPOs with a guy like Cam Newton under center. A lot of times I found them running the old Brady playbook, and that's simply not Cam's strength. So it's been like a perfect storm of mediocrity this year for the New England Patriots, and it's been tough to watch considering what we've had up here for a number of years. And then you lose the throne to the AFC East title to the Buffalo Bills, and you lose your chance to make the playoffs for the first time in well over a decade, 19 straight over 500 seasons. All of it comes to an end. The, 
This is, I, I, I always joke with Schofield because he's a history buff about what it's like <laughs> when Rome finally falls. Like the Visigoths are circling. What is it like when it all comes crashing down? And I didn't think it would be like this. I didn't think it would be this unceremonious. I thought it would take some Herculean push by our by our team or by the Dolphins or by somebody to dethrone, forcefully dethrone the Patriots. And it hasn't ended that way. Instead, it, instead it's ended in a very anticlimactic manner. And now we're left with this Monday night football game between our two teams. And I have to ask the question, do you think it's time to start Stidham? I mean, on one hand, well, here's what I'll say, and before you answer, mm-hmm. I understand that the team has a need to bring Cam up. To, they have to up his market value, just in terms of compensatory picks. But also, Stidham kind of got passed over right out of the gate. <laughs> I mean, Stidham lost his job when they signed Cam Newton because they said, hey, we saw what you have and you're not good enough. Do you think it's time now or is there no benefit to it? Uh, I, I think it's 50-50 at this point, to be totally honest with you. Bill was asked that question on our media conference call on Monday morning, and he gave, of course, Bill is such a wealth of, you know, <laughs> such a fountain of information. Yes. He loves being so forthcoming. He basically said, yeah, we'll see. And, and <laughs> you know, th- take that for what you, you know, for what you, what, what it is. That's essentially what you're doing. Look, bottom line, you throw Stidham to the Wolves, and that's essentially what it would be, uh, because I think Buffalo is coming into this game to play. They have have a legitimate shot at the number two seed in the AFC with Pittsburgh now in a free fall. Uh, Buffalo smells blood in the water, and to me, I think they're the better of the two teams between them and Pittsburgh, uh, top to bottom. I, I take Buffalo in, in that game uh, any day of the week and twice on Sunday, and I think they realize that, and I think they're coming up against a very vulnerable Patriots team that's not playing for a whole lot. If you throw Jarrett Stidham into that mix, all of a sudden, any type of hope or any type of um uh for lack of a better term and any type of uh you know confidence that he's going to build is essentially going to be shot and i don't think that that's necessarily the best environment to throw him in and to say okay buffalo bills are coming into town one of the best teams in the afc go ahead jared have at it let's see what you got probably not a fair shake to him so i do expect cam to play in this game i expect him to start and i expect him to play deep into it if it gets out of hand yeah then i think you'll see jared stidham come in and i think maybe bill will say okay let's see what the kid can do uh but all in all i don't think it's necessarily the time to start him now in week 17 against the jets that may be a whole different story uh the patriots may at that point be comfortable to hand the reins over to Jarrett, let him have a start under his belt, last game of the season, albeit against the Jets, and maybe he can make something happen and maybe even get out of the season with a victory to close it out. But I I don't think you'll see him play all that much against Buffalo, again, like I said, unless this thing gets way out of hand. So I'm curious to see what the kid can do. Uh, I was curious all offseason long, and when they did sign Cam, obviously the things changed up here in New England uh, drastically. But at the same time, I think Bill and the Patriots' brain trust still see something 
in Jarrett Stidham. And ultimately, they're going to have to find out what's there because once the offseason begins, then the chatter is going to start. Do the Patriots go the draft route? Do they try to trade up? Do they try to look at some of the uh, maybe lesser quarterbacks that aren't named Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields or Mac Brown or somebody like that that's going to come in and be able to change the complexity of this uh, franchise? Or do they go the free agent route? And if they go the free agent route or Maya Trade, not a whole lot of names that are out there. A few of the marquee, obviously, Prescott, uh, Ryan, Stafford. We've heard the rumors. None of those is confirmed, and no one has ever said that those players will be available. So the Patriots really, there's a lot on them right now for this offseason in how this rebuild is going to go. If they don't hit the mark, and I don't necessarily mean bring in the quarterback, the right quarterback this year, but if they don't make the right decision to make sure that this rebuild goes well, it could end up being elongated, and then you're going to see a lot more of a lull in Foxborough than I think people are ready for up here. <laughs> and we would all shed gigantic tears for all oh, of Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I love that you know that. I love that you know that. So your confidence level ahead of Monday Night Football against Buffalo. I mean, in my mind, I thought that this was... I always pictured this being a lot like the movie A Christmas Story, where Ralphie finally gets sick of Scott Farkas and just pummels him in front of everybody in the neighborhood. <laughs> and instead, this is going to kind of ring a little hollow on that front. Like, I always wanted vindication. I always, <laughs> Our brand is the Pettiest Bills podcast. And we... I always want my pound of flesh. And I feel like this game, I wanted to get it from it, and I'm not going to. Where is your confidence level in what the New England Patriots... I mean, we're six and a half points favor... Chris, I can't even speak anymore. I'm just flustered. Because I'm looking at the spread online. It's jumped to six and a half points we're favored by. In Foxborough, for the first time in, I feel like, my adult life... Probably. Hugh Millen might have been the quarterback. Hugh Millen might have been the quarterback the last time we were favored by this much. What? Where is your confidence level for the Patriots heading into this matchup? Uh, It's not high. I mean, I think everybody, uh, I don't think anybody in their right mind in New England is going to look at this game and say, yeah, you know what? I really, I like the Patriots to come in and be able to, you know, not only beat the Bills, but, you know, give them a, you know, a a hell of of a whooping coming up here and really set the record straight. The Bills are just a better team on both sides of the ball right now, and the Patriots can't deny that. Uh, My confidence level in the Pats being able to at least give them a game really hinges on a couple of things. One, will Damian Harris be back in the lineup? If he is, that does change the complexity of the way the Patriots are able to run their offense. They can run a lot of the run plays. Use James White out of the backfield and maybe even J.J. Taylor sprinkled in a little bit there to give them a little pop off the bench. That being said, the Bills' run defense is rounding into shape. Matt Milano coming back has definitely helped them to be able to stack the box and that's exactly what i expect buffalo to do on monday night to control the patriots run game and force them to throw and when you force the patriots to throw gentlemen we've seen that this year they just can't get the job done uh it's just not feasible on the offense on, on the defensive side of the ball offensive for uh for buffalo um i look for josh allen to challenge the secondary uh now that you know stefan gilmore is not going to be in the lineup jc jackson is the number one option 
there's a lot of ground to cover there, and there are a lot of different guys Buffalo has that can beat you, whether it be John Brown, whether it be Stefan Diggs deep, or whether it be Cole Beasley in the slot, or even riding guys like Singletary and like Moss uh, in the later part of the game and grinding out the game with the run. We saw Buffalo do that so effectively against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They can beat you in so many different ways that it's going to be very tough for the Patriots to be able to match up, especially against the front seven that essentially looked like a bunch of turnstiles out there, letting the uh, the Miami Dolphins run for over 200 or at 250 yards. And this is not exactly a rushing attack that is putting fear in the hearts of anybody right now. Um, the Miami came into this game knowing they needed to run. The Patriots knew they needed to run, and they still couldn't stop it. So if you want to know why my confidence level is not high, I kind of just leveled it right out there. Um, yeah, I just I don't see a way where the Patriots can take this, and it pains me me to say it it really does i sound like a traitor to the team that i grew up idolizing and the team that i cover for a living but at the same time you have to be realistic and you got to give the nod to buffalo bills in this one god this is why we like you and it's hard for me to like i would love to have somebody on here who i could talk a lot of trash to can't do it to you because you're a consummate professional and the chris debate's great yeah he is <laughs> I just love the fact that he owns when they're high and he owns when they're low. I love this. Yeah. And that's what I think Bills fans – listen, I was, I'm a subscriber to Lockdown Patriots. I am because I enjoy hearing what's going on around the division. If it takes 30 minutes, 40 minutes a day to hear a podcast about our opponents and what's going on on their side of the fence, I want to know that. Don't you? Yeah, I always like to know what's going on uh, around our division. Absolutely. That's the reason we started this podcast. So with that in mind, I encourage you all to go find his show. Why don't you tell them where they can and where they can follow you on social? Oh, absolutely. Well, you can follow me on social, as my good friend and predecessor, Mark Schofield, uh, always says, on the Bird app on Twitter at M-D-A-B-A-T-E-F-P-C. You can listen to Locked On Patriots every day, Monday through Friday, although Friday this week in observance of the Christmas holiday, I'll be taking a day off. Bill doesn't like us to take days yes, off. Yes, sir. I will yes, take days day off. off on Friday. Yes, days um, off. But, uh, <laughs> but uh well patriots are gonna have some time off this <laughs> more than they're used to so maybe bill changes tune a little but uh no all kidding aside folks uh, you can catch us on all major platforms wherever you get your podcasts apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher spotify wherever you get your podcasts just stay locked in to lockdown patriots alf artiaga mike debate and scott mason kind of feel bad for scott mason <laughs> having to miss out on a generational quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, even though Trevor Lawrence kind of looks like a dinosaur. Trevor Lawrence does look like some kind of weird bird creature. I don't know what his bird person, maybe, is what you could call him. He would be cast if they did a live action sh uh, shooting of that show Dinosaurs from TGIF. <laughs> he would definitely be on that show. Oh, people in the AFCs took it in the shorts this week. The Jets lost, the Patriots lost, and the hey, Jets won. Well, the Jets won, but they lost. They lost in the long run. And we were here to celebrate it. Miami wins, and now we look ahead to week 16. Buffalo away against the Patriots. I mean, this anticlimactic division game still has postseason implications for Buffalo. And if head coach Sean McDermott is to be believed, 
they are not going to be taking their foot off the gas. With so many players beat up and missing from the lineup, it's going to be interesting to see if they have the same piss and vinegar of Patriots teams past. Or if this iteration really is just going to slink away into mediocrity. I mean, Elf touched on it. They expected more of a fight out of this Patriots team, and they genuinely just didn't have it to give. I mean, we don't know what to expect because we've literally never seen this before. <laughs> Miami is away against the Raiders. The Raiders have their backs against the proverbial wall. And while they're poorly coached and their defense is porous and their head, well, their head coach and their owner both have the haircuts of, what, elementary school children? Yeah. They're certainly not lacking for weapons. And for that reason, that game becomes interesting. Miami needs a victory here to stay afloat in the AFC playoff race because Baltimore is nipping at their heels and playing really good football. I mean, what? The offensive lineman from Baltimore picking up Lamar Jackson's fumble and running it 17 yards for a first down? That I didn't see. Oh, my God. It was one of the greatest plays. I watched Monday Night Football last night, and it was one of the greatest, like their top 10 of the week. When he hit the, he picks that ball up and gets ahead of steam, and you watched a cornerback go, nah, <laughs> nah, not trying to tackle that guy. He's got me by three times my body weight. Uh, Miami's got to find a way to stay out in front of those guys. And then New England, home against Buffalo. For Patriots fans, it's all over but the crying. Although they could try to play spoiler for Buffalo. They could. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how Belichick handles the roster. If they go full-on youth movement in an effort to try to get a look at players who might survive what is probably going to be a massive overhaul this summer. And then the Jets, home against the Browns. I mean, they made it to one win. Can they make it to two? Maybe. Who knows? Chris, these Jets are a wild card. They're capable of anything. They're just as soon to put a dollar in the Salvation Army bucket as they are to take a five out of your grandmother's purse. This team is wild, and now I'm paying attention. I mean, they probably won't win, but man, do I love watching Cleveland lose. And a pre-playoff loss to the Jets might be exactly what the doctor ordered in order to trigger a meltdown of that Browns franchise. Kind of like the time that their section of Lake Erie caught on fire underscoring just what a hole that place is. <sighs> I can't wait. I thought that this week was going to be the most exciting thing. Then I thought it was anticlimactic, and just like that, they pull us back in. Now we've got rooting interests. It's going to be a great week in the AFC, and it's Christmas. It's Christmas, and so from our kitchen table to yours, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all of our listeners and your families. Be safe, and we will see you here next week. But for now, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. that's Chris Krueger, and this has been your AFC's Roundup. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.